Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we lift up your name. You are the living God. And we pray, Lord God, that we would hear your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the midst of our sermon series, The Life with God, a study of the Ten Commandments, and we're on the Fourth Commandment today. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever felt like that when people tell you to rest while they're busy away cleaning, that you just feel like you can't quite sit still, that you need to just get up and help? I think we often feel that way because we're used to striving rather than resting, Have you ever felt like someone gave you this kind of surprise, unconditional gift and you you just felt a little bit weird inside, like, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I can take it, oh, let me pay you back, you know, no, next time I'll treat you out to lunch, like, it just feels so hard to receive an unconditional gift. I think we're used to earning rather than receiving. I wonder if you ever felt like your life is just out of control, like you're just kind of reacting from one thing to another. I think a lot of people feel that way and that life sometimes just feel like you're on a survival mode life rather than living an intentional life. I wonder if you've ever felt confused about God's plan for you, God's purpose for you in this world. I think we're all used to trying to figure out our purpose in this world and yet not necessarily seek God in terms of that purpose. I wonder if you've ever been very focused on your personal growth. How do you need to change? How do you need to become a better person? And yet at the same time, leave out. How does God want you to be? I think we're, again, used to creating our own identity rather than asking God, what is the identity that he has created for us? I think with all of these, we we struggle with them a lot, maybe at least a little bit. And the more we struggle with those feelings that I just described, the more we struggle with keeping Sabbath. So let's talk a little bit. Why are we so anti-Sabbath? I'm making an assumption here, but I think it's right. Why are we so anti-Sabbath? I did want to take a note that two years ago, I preached a sermon on Sabbath. So I try not to repeat stuff that I said then. uh, We can put it up as well if you want to get a broader view on it. There's so much you could say about Sabbath. There's actually a very rich theological topic in scripture. There's so many places you can go. But here are a couple of reasons that I mentioned in my last sermon um, about why we're so anti-Sabbath. One, we see our work as our identity or our purpose. And here's a quote from Leland Riken in his book, Redeeming the Time, A Christian Approach to Work and Leisure. He says this, work is a means to achieving personal goals, including money, professional stature, social standing, and self-fulfillment. I've spoken of the success, success ethic in the past tense, but this does not mean it does not continue to be the dominant work ethic of our time. Even Christians who repudiate the this value system tend to live by a modified success ethic. It is simply an ingrained part of our life. By Christian standards, the value underlying the success ethic are at best secondary motivations for work. Pursued as most of American society has pursued it, the success ethic has pr- produced a form of idolatry accompanied by moral, impar- <laughs> moral impoverishment. So it's just this idea like, our work becomes our identity. Our work can become an idol for us. And when work has such a prominent place in our life, then being told to rest 
from that work is not just taking a break. It's asking you to set aside almost your identity, right? Another reason why we're so anti-Sabbath is that we are used to a rest that is consumeristic. Okay, and so uh, Dan Allender has a little booklet on Sabbath, and he says this, Many modern-day vacations have the allure of cotton candy, a brightly colored candy puff on a paper stick that promises a feast of fullness and is nearly impossible to eat without sticky compromise. Once we tear into the sugary diversion, it disappears in a flash and offers no substance. It is not enough, and it doesn't satisfy, even for a minute. The end only increases the desire for more. It doesn't bring awe or gratitude. This is the energy of consumerism, the heartbeat of a self-serving capitalism. So much of what we turn to when we feel like we need a break, when we feel tired, when we need rest, ends up being in some way about consuming something, whether it's social media, shopping, watching shows, they all have a consuming kind of nature to it. And what Dan Allender is saying here is that in the end, whatever joy we receive from it, it is very fleeting. And in the end, doesn't give us the substance of rest that we are truly looking for. I'm not going to go into those any more than that, but I just kind of want to set the scene with that. But a little bit context about the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment is a bridge from the first three commandments to the last six commandments. And the first three commandments, which we've gone over so far, are clearly about our relationship with God, our worship of God. So the first commandment is about who we worship. The second commandment is about how we worship. The third commandment is about our attitude in our worship. And then, again, the last six commandments are clearly about our relationship with people. But I think the fourth commandment may be the most underemphasized commandment or wrongly emphasized commandment. It is underemphasized by some because they believe somehow this one commandment out of all ten is like a ceremonial law that Jesus has already fulfilled and we don't really need to keep it anymore. And so in that sense, it gets underemphasized, not talked about. You know, the other nine, yes, we need to pay attention to, but this number four commandment, we don't need to anymore. Or it could be wrongly emphasized by other Christians in that it gets viewed as like how the strict Jews viewed it or even view it today, where we're always insisting on what you can't do on Sabbath or what you must do on Sabbath. You can't eat out on Sabbath because you're making other people work. You must go to worship both morning and evening on Sabbath for it to be true Sabbath keeping. The focus again becomes again upon what you can't do and what you must do. But both the underemphasis of this commandment or the wrong emphasis on this commandment ends up missing the heart of what Sabbath keeping is about. It misses the goodness of what Sabbath is supposed to be about. And so I think in the end, whether it's because of underemphasis or wrong emphasis, Sabbath keeping becomes very poorly practiced amongst Christians. And I'm not even going to ask for a raise of hands of how many people here just even try to have some kind of Sabbath keeping in their life. I know that whenever I teach on this, I get convicted like, oh man, I need to reevaluate how I'm keeping Sabbath in the way that God intended me to. It is so easy, even if we've thought about it, to drift back towards 
what we're tempted to do, whether it's a very anemic definition of what Sabbath is, or just to straight up be like everyone else, where it's just another day for us to enjoy in a secular kind of way. The fourth commandment is really unique in some ways. And I think it could even be said to be emphasized as the gospel commandment. Now, what do I mean by that? It's the only commandment which ties together the gospel narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. It is literally the commandment that brings us from creation to consummation in the way it's described in scripture. Because it begins with Sabbath in the creation week when God rested on the seventh day to Sabbath as our heavenly home. Sabbath of life eternal with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. And so even in this series so far, we've been talking about the commandments in light of this biblical narrative of creation, fall, redemption, consummation, about how each commandment points to a pre-fall desire that God has created us with and points us to how Jesus is the fulfillment of each and every one of those commandments and each and every one of those desires that, are been, that have been put in us. And so, again, I hope you remember at least that this fourth commandment is like a gospel commandment that points us ever so clearly to Jesus. It points to this desire in us for rest and for purpose, and it points us to how Jesus is our Sabbath. Now, before we even dive into what does it mean to keep Sabbath, we have to, again, think about keeping Sabbath properly. And so I would start by saying this, to think of Sabbath as how you are free to Sabbath rather than you must Sabbath. You are free to Sabbath rather than you must Sabbath. What do I mean by that? Often in the Christian life, we think of our our Christian life as as duty-based or love-based. And really, they're not in conflict of each other, right? Sometimes we just live our walk with God out of a sense of duty. But if our life with God is only a sense of duty without a sense of being motivated by Christ's love for us, then we will begin to become like those strict Jews who are saying, let's outline what it means to keep the Sabbath exactly. And yet Paul says this, therefore do not let anyone judge you, this is in Colossians 2, by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality however, is found in Christ. Now again, now some people would take this verse and say, look, it says, don't worry about Sabbath keeping anymore. And I think that's not what Paul is trying to say. He's not saying erase the fourth commandment out of the Ten Commandments. He's saying you are free to Sabbath. You don't have to earn your righteousness before God by how you keep the Sabbath. Don't let others judge you by how exactly you are keeping the Sabbath. Questions that seek answers about the possible parameters for Sabbath keeping usually betray this kind of attitude of trying to earn God's favor with our obedience. It's like the couple who's dating who continues to ask their pastor, what does it mean to go too far? What is too far in our physical relationship? And I would say to them, You're missing the point. It's the wrong question. The question is, 
how do you honor God and show God the love you have for Him through your purity? How do you delight in the life to the full that is reflected in this command that God has given you? Not how far, how close can I get to the line? What is the line? These kinds of questions reflect often an attitude of not sinning for fear of God's judgment. But again, in Christ, we are free from judgment. And we're also free to experience the life to the full that are reflected in God's laws. And so we, we come back again when we look at the commandments. Are we, are we motivated to obey God's commandments because of our love for God? Or because of our fear of God's judgment? Are we motivated by love of God? Or are we motivated by fear? Jesus has already, already taken God's judgment for us on the cross. We say this over and over again to ourselves in our relationship with God. And as the preamble to the Ten Commandments reminds us, and we read it every week for this reason, the commandments were given after God saved his people from slavery in Egypt. We have already been saved. We have already been accepted. We have already been loved. And as Christians, we remember we are already one with God. So now, live out your life out of the salvation that God has given you. Live out of that love of God. Live out of that oneness with God. That's our approach, our posture to how we think about really any of the commandments, but certainly when we're talking about the, the fourth commandment of keeping Sabbath. You heard it read earlier, and I don't think I'll read it again. But I want this key word, right, in the Sabbath keeping is rest. What does it mean when we say rest? The thing is, when we hear the word rest, most often our mind goes to taking a nap, having good night's sleep, sitting on the couch, doing nothing. That's what rest often means to us and it comes to our mind. But the Hebrew word for rest is menuha. And menuha really has, is really better translated as joyous repose or tranquility or delight and ultimately pointing to happiness, peace, and harmony. A lack of strife, a lack of fighting, a lack of fear, a lack of doubt. That's the kind of holistic rest that this commandment points to, not just sitting, doing nothing for a period of time. No wonder we don't want to keep Sabbath if we think that's what it is. Like, you want me to just sit for a whole day, God? Like, that's so boring. Yes, it is boring. And that's not what God is pointing us to. And really, Sabbath is so much more than even just this one day in seven. Sabbath is essentially about our worship of God through our time. Sabbath is about our worship of God through our time. It's not just about working. So when we say to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, it means to set aside our time for these five things. And I'm really not going to try to, you know, there's only 30 minutes. I'm not going to try to really demonstrate this from Scripture. If you're curious, please ask follow-up questions. But first, Sabbath means... We are creatures who need rest and refreshment. If God needed to rest on the seventh day, 
It wasn't because he was tired, by the way. It wasn't like, oh man, that was exhausting creating everything. God was, was, we'll say more what he was doing, but it was at first modeling for us what we need as his creation, but so much more than that. But certainly we as finite creatures, we need to recognize ourselves as finite. We can't just work, 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 work. I remember as a college student, I had a senior pastor who I really looked up to, my senior pastor, and he was one of those guys who like could like sleep for four hours. You know, it's like one of those guys like reading theological tomes, 1 a.m. to whatever, and just like, wow, I hope one day I can become that guy who only needs four hours of sleep and reads theology all night long. How amazing. And I just realized it's like, that's not something to look up to. That's not like what God talks about. And it's great if he can do that, but that's not necessarily how I'm built. And if anything, God says, we are all creatures who are finite and need rest and refreshment in our life. The second thing about what Sabbath is, is it's really about God's rhythm of life for us. It's not just about what you do on the seventh day. It's about what you do in the first six days. We're supposed to get all of our work done, and it doesn't mean your job. It means all of that life work as well. All the paperwork and the bills and the cleaning and the laundry and all of that stuff that we just classify as chores, errands, to get that stuff done on the first six days and then on the seventh day, one day in seven, to truly rest. And again, not rest as in do nothing for a whole day. Rest as in try to live out the peace, the tranquility, the joy, the delight that God talks about. And so it brings us a segue to what the third thing that Sabbath is meant to be. It's meant to be celebration. On that seventh day, after God created, and he sat back and looked at his creation, and he blessed it and called it holy, what was he doing? He was saying, wow, it is good. It is very good. He was celebrating the goodness of what he had created. How many of you can do that? I mean that. I think that's hard. I'm a person who's hard on myself. I'm not very good at celebrating what I have done. That even sounds weird to say. Aren't I supposed to say, oh, it wasn't me. It was God working through me. But we are the avenues through which God works. And whatever we do, we can always rightly call our work no matter how God was at work behind the scenes or at work in us. Can you, at the end of your week, step back and say, wow, I did some good things this week. God wants me to celebrate the good that was done through me. I actually, I tried a system. What was it called? I'm not, I'm not following it very well right now, but it's called the Fully Focused Planner. But actually, it was really challenging because part of it, part of the rhythm in this, you know, get your life organized system is at the end of the week to review your week and to write down the good things that happened. It was hard for me. I was like, I don't know. I preached a sermon. Well, I talked to some people. I administrated. But 
it was good because it, it called me to say, God uses me for good and I need to be able to recognize and celebrate that just as God did when he created everything. The fourth thing that Sabbath is, is, is redemption. It points us to our redemption. It doesn't outline it so clearly in this particular passage in Exodus, but in other parts of the Old Testament when the people of God are reminded about what Sabbath is, there's a very direct connection to the redemptive work of God. It is why we have worship on Sunday, by the way, to remember the redemptive work of God in our life. And so it is a day specifically to praise God for the work of Christ in our lives, to praise him and thank him for what he has done. But lastly, Sabbath is a day for mercy and justice. Throughout scripture in the Old Testament, we're pointed to the practices that God gave his people related to Sabbath about leaving margin for mercy. When they went to harvest the fields, God would say, the stuff that falls by the wayside, just leave it. Let the sojourner come by and pick it up and allow them to feed themselves. What a challenge it is for us to think. How are we leaving margin in our lives such that we can offer mercy to people? Or are we so busy, so much going from thing to thing that we can't even imagine stopping to offer mercy to someone in need? So we see these five things. And it's a quick description of what Sabbath is. Rest and refreshment, God's rhythm of life for us, celebration, redemption, and mercy and justice. But in all of this, I want to point to this one passage because we so need to hear it in our contemporary culture that Sabbath, this is our attitude in approaching Sabbath in all of those five ways, Sabbath as delight for us in our Christian life. In Isaiah 58, it says this, uh, verses 13 and 14. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to rise in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. One of the reasons why we struggle so much with Sabbath keeping is what we understand well, particularly if you've grown up in the church, you understand very well the Protestant work ethic. But what we mostly don't understand is the theology of play. We have not been taught that we are to play. And I, I was sitting here just waiting to come up and I noticed in our building here, the word play is right there. And I think in the past I've thought, it's weird that we worship in a rec center that has play on the front of the building. And that betrayed my own Protestant work ethic. That somehow play is in contradiction with God. But when we think of God in that way, then God becomes only a God who works and does serious things. And he is no longer a God who also delights and plays and creates out of joy. 
Dan Allender in his book on the Sabbath gives this analogy about why we are not to work on Sabbath. Imagine for a moment, whether you're married or not, that you have a special night planned with your spouse. And you're both getting into it. The mood is right. And you interrupt that intimacy with, hold on, honey, I'm going to go do the dishes. And you walk out of the bedroom to the kitchen and you go do the dishes. Now, it's certainly going to kill the mood, right? Your spouse is going to be like, what? You want to do dishes instead of what we're about to do here? And it would also bring into question, if you understand at all what joy is, that you would prefer mundane chores, that you would in fact interrupt the joy of that intimacy for mundane chores. This is how sin works in our life. Right? It makes us irrational that we think, oh yeah, mundane chores is better. I think I'll do that on the Sabbath. God says, Sabbath is meant to be a delight. Delight in God and delight in what he has given us. I know I've been quoting John Frame a lot, but as I said, his book, The Doctrine of the Christian Life, is excellent on the Ten Commandments. But he says this, the eschatological passages, eschatological is a big word for end times, theology of end times. The eschatological passages of scripture are full of feasting and song. How can the Sabbath, which celebrates creation, redemption, and consummation, be any different? So it is important to keep in mind that by its very nature, the Sabbath is a feast, not a fast. It is a time of abundance, not deprivation. It should be a delight, a time of play and joy. There is, of course, a difference between feasting before the Lord and mere secular entertainment. But nonetheless, it's well taken. So often we have thought of Sabbath as fasting, deprivation. I can't do X, Y, Z on the Sabbath. That's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be a day full of things that bring you joy, including your relationship with God and others, to fill it with that delight. Think about the feast. The feast is not a feast without the glad fellowship of others feasting with you. Feasting alone is merely a sad sight. So Sabbath delight is delight that is not self-centered, but centered around our love for God and our love for others. Sabbath is worshiping God in the joy of his presence and the presence of others. It is a reminder that joy cannot be found in isolation. Joy cannot be manufactured and controlled on our own. All of the kind of consumeristic rest that we turn to are ways that we think we can manufacture joy. But true joy comes just in a moment without our manufacturing because God brings it. It is a simple moment when your child does something just adorably cute and you just, it just brings you joy in your life. And as hard as you try to make them perform that so that they will bring you joy, they of course will say no when you try to do that. Joy cannot be found in isolation. It is found in relationship. First relationship with God, but 
also relationship with others. It is, again, why we come together to worship on Sabbath. We come together in joy as God's people to delight in God together and ask him to delight in us through Jesus. You can't do this by worshiping God on a phone app. You can't. Yes, worship is a very broad concept, but I'm talking about Sabbath worship with the people of God in the presence of God in the presence of fellow believers. And so it's a very simple application to ask you this question. How would your Sabbath keeping look different knowing that it is about delighting in God and people? How would your Sabbath keeping look different if you knew it was about delighting in God and people? How would your obedience to remembering the Sabbath change if you reframe it as a day of joy? Because that is what it's meant to be. Not a secular joy, but a joy that comes from God. We, of course, have to come back to Jesus, which is what this whole series is about. Inevitably, we will fall short in our Sabbath keeping. We will live out of rhythm rather than in God's rhythm. We will seek our own purposes through our time rather than God's purposes. We will make Sabbath just another day of work like all others. We will make it about earning points with God rather than delighting in God. We will forget that it's a day that's meant to delight in Him. And so again and again, we turn to Jesus who is our Sabbath as you heard in that Matthew text Sabbath keeping is ultimately meant to point us to Jesus who is our Sabbath, Jesus who is our joy, our need for Jesus, and the joy we receive from him and through him. The joy that we receive in this life and the joy that continues forever through all eternity. Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our joyous repose. Jesus is our tranquility, our delight, and ultimately our happiness, peace, Assurance, harmony, stillness. For the Lord is the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us to delight in God. And I'm just going to go through quickly here these five things that I mentioned before and how Jesus is those things for us. Jesus is our rest and refreshment. Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus obeyed God's rhythm perfectly. After he had, Matthew 14, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone with his father. Jesus is our celebration. Mark 1. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. These are words for you now through your faith in Christ. God is well pleased with you as well. Jesus is our redemption. 1 Corinthians 1.30 And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And lastly, Jesus is our mercy and justice. Micah 6, 1, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus in his days on earth 
lived perfectly these things. He perfectly acted justly. He perfectly loved mercy and he perfectly walked out humbly in this relationship with his heavenly father. Jesus is the lamb of God who died on the cross. He is also the judge of the universe. Mercy and justice kiss at the cross. Tim Keller says this, we must stress both God's holiness and justice and his absolute love and mercy. The only way we can see the glory of grace is to see both his law and his love fulfilled on the cross. They must not be proclaimed in such a way that they are pitted against each other, but rather that they meet and are fulfilled in Christ. Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest and our purpose. I watched a video yesterday that was of Elijah when he was around two years old. It was actually a video that his babysitter made for him. He was adorable. My kids are now seven, nine, and 11, and it literally seems forever ago when they were you know, that size where you just hold them. And I, I love holding babies. So I thought about for this illustration saying, can I borrow someone's baby? But maybe not. Um, I love holding babies and toddlers, and it's really great when a baby or toddler is particularly accommodating and lets you hold them just a little bit longer. But you know when that baby is done with you, <laughs> right? When they, when they start squirm, squirming in your arms, when they start making faces at you, when they just start screaming without words, return me to my mommy now. And you, of course, obediently give it back to its mom. A baby just knows the smell of her mom. She knows the heartbeat of her mom. She knows the breast of her mom. She knows the feel of being in her mother's arms. She knows the love of her mom. She knows the delight of her mom. And always at some point she wants to go back to that. No matter how good you are at holding the baby. I know some of you take great pride in being good baby holders. In her mother's arms, a baby feels at rest. And it is from the foundation of those loving arms that a baby, a child, is sent forth into the world to adventure. But a child also must always come back to that loving security of her parent, to check in, to make sure everything's okay, to be reminded of the parent's delight, to be reminded of the parent's love, to remind it that it's okay to go back out into the world and explore and adventure, to represent the family. This is what Sabbath is meant to be. It is meant to be our weekly time of coming back to our Heavenly Father who is like a mother hen who keeps us under his wing to remind us you are loved, you are secure. Rest in me. And then to say, okay, now go back out into the world. He says to us, one day a week, especially do that. It doesn't mean don't rest in God the rest of the week. It just means one day especially 
make it a day of delight for your heart to be filled with God's love, to be refreshed, to celebrate, to remember your redemption, to remember the mercy and justice that you're called to, to remember the rhythm and the purpose that God has given you, that you're not alone in this world. And we do this week after week, coming here to worship, maintaining our Sabbath in our own homes, because we rehearse this rhythm of Sabbath keeping so that one day when our Lord returns, we will feel completely how He is our Sabbath, how He is our rest and purpose, how He is the one who brings us from creation to redemption to consummation. If you can't delight in the Lord one day a week, will you have any interest in delighting in Him forever and ever? He calls us back to the fold, back to his rest, back to his purpose. Jesus is our Sabbath. Come to him, all you who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest for your soul. Let us pray.